0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitri and I'm here in Toronto at the Skydeck of IT Guy Technologies. And I'm joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. What is a Skydeck? And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in uh, Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hey, everybody. I've moved up to the third floor for the week because it's just uh, easier to work up here. That's the sky deck. Sky deck. Um, Sky deck, that's right. Um, Just like like at the CN Tower, they have a sky deck. I have a sky deck here. I'm up in the trees. I can see all the trees waving around outside. Oh,
1: you're in the trees all right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so well I think the first topic of uh, conversation today and I think it's a challenge for a lot of us. We talked about um you know uh, iOS leads last week. We talked about uh challenges of working from home, challenges of having to commute into the big city to get you know, to make find work. Um and uh so a lot of things that developers are doing is trying to find jobs. Uh, and you know part of finding jobs is going for Interviews, and I think Garen has some uh something he'd like to share about that well, I want to kick off a discussion, so sure um so just to
1: back story this thing um I've been aggressively pursuing work now for the past week or so as a contract that I had hoped would continue, turned out not to mm. for mm. business reasons uh I was doing great, I'll have you know <laughs> anyway <laughs> um. So I've been responding to posts online and using iosleads.com, which we discussed last week, to uh, go after any kind of opportunity that I see. And uh, I've been getting some responses back, um, including one from a company called... Nah, just insert an X there. We're not going to say their Mm -hmm. name. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and the response I got back from the company was... I, I would love to talk to you. And here is our process. And I was linked to a PDF, which is a oh an eight-page document outlining their three-stage process for going through a hiring process for developers uh, for this mm-hmm. company. And um, it's a, basically what to expect and how to prepare. And it is extremely rigorous, uh, to my mind. And outlines exactly what expectations they have of an applicant. And I must say that uh, this was kind of an off-putting document. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I I really am feeling ambiguous about this because uh, I don't I don't really know whether I should be uh, looking at this as an opportunity to be fully prepared and present my best my best self as a developer to a company. Um, Or if I'm finding this just overly prescriptive and um, maybe a little uh, over the top in terms of what their expectations are, putting all of the onus on me as a developer and giving me no information about why I would
2: want to work for them. Um, So... (sighs) I guess. Just um, curious, what what size company is that? Is it a, is it a big company? Is it a small company?
1: They they appear to be a rather small uh, development agency. So yeah. they do work for other companies, and mm-hmm. from the looks of things, they've done work for a number of significant companies. Apps mm-hmm. you've heard of, mm-hmm. I'm guessing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: but I don't know that a lot of people have heard of this agency. Right, I hadn't right. when I when I applied to them. So. Right, because
2: um, that that type of uh, thing is very common, at least out here, for some of the bigger companies. You know, ones that start with a G, for example, are well known to mm-hmm. have very rigorous uh, hiring and interview procedures, and and there are long documents yes. to tell tell uh, tell you what's going on. Uh, and it feels it's, to, it's a little sorry, surprising Mark. to me for a smaller. I'm sorry, yeah, we've got that uh, that that lag on the, the VoIP lag. Uh, yeah. It is a little surprising to me that a smaller company would be would be doing that kind of thing. Although I guess if their clients are bigger companies, maybe they have the same kind of mindset.
1: You know, it's possible, but, you know, it is. It's weird because um, I, I feel like, you know, Everybody wants to work for Google. Well, yeah, you, Okay, Google. <laughs> yeah. Well, All right, I'm being so coy asking. now. Um, but that's who you were talking about. Um,
0: right. Maybe. And I,
1: maybe. <laughs> wink, wink.
0: Could have been General Electric. You don't know. Yeah, it
1: could have totally been. I just don't know. Um, I don't think that this company that I'm talking about and won't name, um, even by mistake, I hope, uh, falls into the same Ooh. category. And so they've They've certainly got this um, uh, feeling about them though when they set up this kind of rigorous looking screening process um, and I guess you know uh, I'll admit there's a certain amount of fear involved because um, I've had some pretty bad experiences in the past going through developer screening processes um, and what do you mean by
0: what do you mean by what do you mean by bad experiences like yeah, can you okay. sort of a, a, I mean, like, here, here's my take on, on this particular thing. I mean, I, I, I do find it intimidating to a certain extent to see something like this as a document. And, and you know, as you know, we talked about before sh- the show, I've actually seen this document myself. And um, but it, it also speaks to the fact that these guys have have prepared uh, the the interview process. They've they've done they've you know, they probably like I've been hiring and firing people for many, many years over my my careers. And I can tell you that when you put an advertisement out for a job, you get everybody and his brother who's seen an iPhone before apply for jobs. Oh yeah, I, th- I think I know how to build an app maybe I 'll apply and it really it makes it very difficult for for you to vet the, the people who are coming through so a document like this at least prepares, especially in the in the case of a large company in Palo Alto California. Um, they may do something like that because, or Mountain View, I think it is, right? It is Mountain View. <laughs> yes. It, it is Tanger. Mountain View. If we're still talking, about it the is same now. Mind. Okay, that's where General <laughs> Electric's new head offices. Right. But um, they, uh, they, uh, you know, in, in large organizations, you know, an HR department would put together a document like this to sort of streamline the process, also to to give the interviewee some um, sort of background in terms of what what to expect, like Mark was saying, but. I, I, you're right. I do find it on on the one hand. Uh, in, in, personally, I do find it intimidating. I, I didn't apply to this particular company because I found the document off-putting.
1: Did you find the document before you apply or didn't apply?
0: <laughs> yeah. No. Actually, I, I saw I saw the posting, and I, I can't remember how I got it. But there was uh, there was a posting. Uh, I can't remember if it was on a social network or on, on online somewhere that I saw it. Um, and when I, when I went there, there was a, here, here's a link to our, our download process. Oh, okay. And, and, uh, so I clicked on it just to see what it was. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, well
1: to, to kind of explain what my experience was, uh, with technical interviews and not with this company because I haven't had one yet, but in the past sure. and, and kind of what informs my intimidation in approaching this one. Um, I did a, an initial technical interview with another very well-known software development company in the States. And Mm -hmm. this was about eight months ago. And the initial interview um, was a live coding exercise. And I was led through it uh, in a shared uh, window coding environment. And I was expected to um, uh, create and perform functions on a data structure of a kind that i had never heard of but which i'm told is quite conventional if you're a computer science student sure. um, i had no idea what it was about <laughs> and um subsequently flamed out utterly and it was a, a horrible embarrassment uh on mm-hmm. my part anyway um mm-hmm. and i just totally did not get the second interview obviously but I found that uh, an incredibly off-putting exercise because if they had said to me beforehand, you know, we're looking for people that are more computer science oriented, um, which I am not, you know, like my right. I, my iOS development skills are entirely self-taught, um, always have been, you know, and I consider myself a strong intermediate iOS developer you You give me mm-hmm. an app that you want me to build, and i 'll build it. I can do that
0: yeah i 'm I'm, I'm the, I'm the same way i mean and, and in my case uh, and, you know i 've also been going through the process of of, of interviews recently and and i 've had obviously Mark and Jaime to lean on to sort of ask them what what was this a normal interview I went on because I, I went on one that was for me it wasn 't totally embarrassing, but I was definitely definitely out of my element in terms in terms of getting work done. My kind of role in, in, in iOS development is more of a, um, uh, I, I would have said lead developer, but apparently that's the wrong terminology. It's more like a product manager type role where I can wrangle the developers. Like, you know, I can do a lot of the coding myself and I do do a lot of the coding myself, but, you know, I can also paint myself into a pretty good corner, which Mark can probably attest to. Um, and. You know, so so I know when when I need to bring Mark in to do some heavy lifting on a particular area, or I'll even go and hire a couple of illustrators who live across the street from me. Even though I have a fine arts background, you know, sometimes it's better for me to, to you know send all that work out. But that doesn't mean that you you know I'm not applying to jobs where I'm expected to be the sole developer, right? And and like you, I one of the one of the questions I have, and I've had for for Jaime and Mark recently, was okay, what do I, what computer science textbooks do i need to go learn what i mean i've been studying up on game theory i've been you know looking at uh, trying to find books on computer science at the local indigo which is our our uh, barnes and noble up here um, and you know trying to trying to get get up to speed on what is it that these these uh, you know university students are studying i mean i've been at a university for 25 30 years right um, so you know and i'm like you learn php Self-taught, you know, learned object-oriented programming. Self-taught, you know, and then and then iOS came along, and and I just loved iOS, and I was given a task to go and build a big giant app, and I didn't build it by, by myself. I found developers to help me. I hired them as freelancers to come and work with me, right? But so now, a, now that I'm in a position where, like you, I'm also slow looking for work. Um, I'm trying to find other places to 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 get you know short contracts or long contracts or whatever. Um, and this, this process of being um, tested live tested is it's it's a bit it's a bit weird I mean I, I went through like I said I went, had a, a couple of interview processes recently one was was asking me technical stuff which I probably could have if I had my environment if I was able to go to Google I was able to do the research I was able to reach out to, to friends online Um I probably could have got my way through the test, as it were, right? But to be sitting there in a in a room with nothing but a piece of paper and a pen, you know, and being asked to demonstrate my iOS development skills—that was—that was very opening. Apologies to the guy who interviewed me. He's probably listening to the show. But there you go. <laughs> I doubt he's listening wow. to the show. Oh, I, <laughs> he is actually. He's he's been following us. Oh my good lord. We have a listen. Yeah, yeah. uh, so I, I I'm, I'm a good connector. I connect people uh, after, after the fact. Even if I have a horrible interview with you, you know, we'll still hook up on Twitter. We'll still go have a beer or whatever. You know, yeah, no hard feelings. Man. Okay. Well, unfortunately,
2: the- unfortunately, uh, unfortunately uh, it, it seems like the the norm is exactly what you guys are describing. Uh, right. Although it's true that yeah, you don't really have to know how to reverse a linked list to do iOS programming. I mean, Aaron, right. I'm kind of guessing that was one of the things that that got thrown at you. Uh, no, that's a very wait. standard question. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, there, there there really is no uh, direct mapping from one to the other, and it's sort of hard to understand why people put that kind of thing into interviews, except that it is sort of a, a common language that, you know, at least in computer science circles, everyone has has gone through it at least once. And, sure. you know, it's sort of considered, you know, a minimum level of knowledge um, for better or for worse. Uh, so, you know, in my experience, if, if, you know, if it's ever like a cold call kind of interview, in a, what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, it's it's not someone I know uh, mm-hmm. at the company. Then, yeah, you usually, it, it's pretty much always you get that kind of thing because they don't really know what else to ask you for for whatever reason, especially if it's a place where. There aren't a lot of iOS people there, and they don't really know what the right questions to ask of iOS people are.
0: Right. So. And, and my contention, my contention is, it takes a, a, a whole you know village of skills to be able to build an iOS app these days. It's not just not just you know linking you know stuff together or, or doing recursive. Uh, I forget about that. But the one of my tests was a recursive thing. And and so here's the irony, Aaron, is I I contacted Mark and I said, what do I need to study? For computer science to get my head wrapped around what these people are asking me, and I asked Jaime the same question, and Jaime sent me a link to a book which tell which is like the the top one hundred and fifty questions they'll ask you with answers in a technical interview. Yeah
3: yeah, so that you're referring to cracking the coding interview by uh, yeah you know, McDowell. Funny. and it's it's kind of one of those books that's really heavily oriented towards the coding interview itself. And it's like the uh, the GMAT or LSAT or SAT type books that kind of really help you. Like, here are the kinds of questions you're going to see, and sort of help you with the test, right? Yeah, um, and, and li- I,
0: literally, I found I found the question too that I was being asked in in the interview. I found it in that textbook.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, so my take on that. So, having been um, you know interviewed plenty of times and interview other people plenty of times, I kind of have a, an opinion on, on some of these things. And, and I think, uh, I see a lot of like, you know, Mark's point, right? Where there's, I think an underlying assumption in a lot of these places that, oh, well, you should probably have like a computer science background. And I, -hmm. I don't think that's really all that necessary for, um, a large percentage, maybe even a majority of the kinds of jobs that people are out there developing software Uh, So for context, Mm -hmm. I am a computer science major, so I I expect to see certain data structures and and whatnot for these kinds of of tests. But that doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with them, right? Like, if if you want me to write an app, um, it's pretty unusual that I'm going to have to be dealing with, you know, a whole bunch of weird, exotic algorithms. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not to say there aren't roles that do that. I mean, if you want to go be the head of uh, Google's indexing and and relevance algorithm, sure, absolutely, you're going to need that. And and I think part of it is like the industry hasn't really formed um, enough of a separation between the theoretical side and sort of the more practical implementation side. And, and almost every other discipline has this, right? You have the mathematics folks who have, you know, the theoretical and the applied math. Uh, you look at physicists versus pick any one of engineer, right? Mechanical and whatnot, Um, You have chemists and you have chemical engineers, and nobody really views one as being necessarily inferior or superior to the other. But for some reason, we sort of conflate, oh, you're computer science, you must be a developer. It's like, well, no. I mean, if you go to the master's or (laughs) PhD level, you're not going to be coding anything at all, except for the last week (laughs) after you've you've proved out all your research and analysis, right? Like, it's it's very different – between doing the the theoretical computer science and doing the software engineering or the applied part of, of computing.
0: Yeah, well, you don't need to you don't need to do to know how to do a Fibonacci theorem or whatever the hell that thing's called to, to link up a you know a UI button uh, to a, a UI controller. You don't need to have a, a UI controller, and you don't need to have to use auto layout. You don't need a computer science degree. Well, you, maybe you do to understand what the hell they're, they're, the choices are, but you know. It's getting to the point where you know a lot of what we do in i o s development with xcode and i d and all that kind of stuff a lot of that stuff once you is it's getting easier and easier to do over time you know um so I mean yeah, if you're trying to figure out the you know the the tangent to which the you know the pebble that's being thrown at the rocket ship is traveling at and when it's going to hit the rocket ship, that's a different thing than whether or not you can hook up a table view you know
3: agreed and and that's and that's where, from, a, from an interviewing style, um, in terms of the interviews I'm comfortable with and the interviews I am comfortable um, proctoring, um, mm-hmm. I really don't like the, a couple things. For sure, I don't like the, um, the kind of tests where to just, oh, did you remember this thing, right? I don't enjoy trivia tests. If it's something I can right. find out in thirty seconds on Stack Overflow or just a straight sure. up Google search, it's really yep. kind of pointless to to ask me or for me to ask somebody about that. Um, mm-hmm. I really don't like using a whiteboard to try to do actual real code. <laughs> I think uh, you know general algorithms pseudo code is great if you're trying to make me into a human compiler. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I <laughs> <laughs> start forgetting what, what that does because you know the, the tools do that for me. It auto completes for me. I know what what I'm doing, but I don't remember precisely where the curly brace goes in some cases. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I also don't really like doing um, the live um, coding exercise where it's just like, hey, here's this thing that's like, just do this algorithm right here. It's like, okay, that's a little weird. And um, I, I, I would generally prefer to have a a test worth like, look, here's this problem, help us and solve this sort of problem. And, and the more applicable sure. it is to the real world, particularly, you know, in that industry that I'm applying for, the better, because I can really wrap my head around that. You know, I might not <laughs> be able to figure out how many nickels it would take to fill Mount Fuji if it was hollowed out, but I can probably figure out some of your e-commerce problems. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. something that I'm, I'm good at.
1: That's my problem in a nut. Um, The live coding exercise puts an enormous amount of pressure on the developer being interviewed, um, which is what happened to me. Like, I was confounded not only by the problem, but the fact that it was happening in real time. And I didn't feel like I had access to all the tools that I would normally be able to access. Um, Because, you know, if, if he had, you know, given me even half an hour of warning... I am certain I would have had a much better turnout in that test, but there, there it was. Now I've, I've done other tests, um, other interviews where they've just given you, just like Jaime was saying, um, here's a problem. Um, here's, uh, an Xcode project. Can you just go ahead and do X, Y, and Z? And Uh I would go through and finish it out, push it up to GitHub uh, do whatever it was they asked, and you know, within twelve hours, turn that around, and it's exactly what they're looking for. And that, to me, is a much more realistic test, and something I'm dramatically more comfortable with. Right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what happened with me was uh, one, one of the interviews I went on a couple of months ago. Um, I had a phone conversation with the owner of the, the you know the CEO of the company. And it went great. We talked about the business of app development. We talked about you know using things like apptentive to get uh, uh, user feedback and and help customers to so talk about using Google Analytics and Facebook Analytics to try and get some some actual you know real life feedback from what your users are doing in the field. We talked about focusing on a, on a, on a market niche you know an idea I picked up from Charles Perry at n s North you know that you concentrate on 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 how to get an app out to market. All the sort of business around building an app and, and having, you know, had, you know, but Mark and I were calculating the other day, we, we've had over a million downloads between the two of us um, in the last four or five years. That's quite significant, I think. And um, yet, you know, the second year you, I go into this thing and I'm, I'm handed a piece of paper and a pencil and asked to do, I don't know, I can't even remember what it was called. like I sound like a bubbling idiot just even trying to talk about what the question was. But, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is, you know, the interviewer was patient with me. and He actually did sort of kind of walk me through the, the process and did manage to get the, we did manage to get the answer done. Probably took a lot longer than he thought, but I had no access to Google, no Stack Overflow, no Mac, no iPad, nothing to, you know, not even a a, a textbook to whip to through the index and look for stuff, you know. Um, very difficult type of way of doing interviews.
3: You know, the weirdest uh, interview I ever had to do that's a little bit closer to what I prefer. Um, but I've sort of modified it for any interviews mm-hmm. that I've had to, to conduct, uh, thereafter was, it, it was actually a live coding interview, but it was, um, in person it was at this company's office. It was a conference room that could sit probably about 10, but it was only me and two other interviewers, the teammates I would be working with. And, um, I had access to a laptop that provided me a laptop had Xcode installed and everything, and it was connect. That laptop was connected to a projector, so they could sort of follow along. And they said, mm-hmm. "Hey, we, we want you to build um, this simple app, and they describe what it does. It basically scrapes a website and you know uses that almost like a an XML feed, so that you hmm. could drive a, um, a a dynamic UI." Right, that says okay. Mm-hmm. Show me the first page. Show me the last page. Show me next. Show me, you know, previous, um, and display the the images from that on a, an image view. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can use any tools you want. You can ask us any questions you want. Um, you can use Google, Stack Overflow, anything at all. Um, we just want to understand like, you know, some of your design process, and and of course they also wanted to see could this guy actually write an app, you know, based on some of what you had mentioned earlier, you know, someone who's seen an iPhone is suddenly a senior <laughs> app developer. <laughs> and, uh, it was kind of stressful of, as an hour and a half. I, I actually got the assignment done, um, sort of by mm-hmm. the skin of my teeth. It's sort of the weirdest mm-hmm. thing, but at least it was closer to real life, right? Like it's, it's closer yeah. to being like a pair programming or a code review type environment. Um, the, the, one thing I would have to say is like, I felt so stressed, during it and at the end that i i thought for sure that i had bombed the interview and surprise surprise they're like oh yeah we love you we want to hire he's like oh okay why <laughs> was like, was like, felt, it just
2: felt so awkward
3: to me you should have that, seen what the
2: other people uh, did <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, so to to accommodate other you know personality types and and, and and some people are more outgoing and some people are are not so much and some people think you know, on their feet. And some people really, really need to sit down and mull on things over coffee Mm -hmm. or in the shower Mm -hmm. or something. So I've preferred Mm -hmm. to do, you know, these testing exercises as being more, look, here's, here's a small assignment that we think you could do within Mm -hmm. you know one to four hours. And we'll give you some decent amount of time, you know, depending on the person's availability, it could be over sort of a, a three to four day weekend sort of thing to maybe like a week, you know, it just depending on the person's circumstances to try to uh-huh. kind of accommodate the, you know, people have jobs in most cases when they're interviewing with us, they have, you know, families, they have other obligations. And we try to be cognizant of that fact, right. To sort of balance up the needs of, of the company versus the needs yeah. of the individual. And then yeah. once they have coded the assignment, we, you know, we can have all sorts of time to review the code, understand the design decisions that were being made we bring them in and have them talk to the team and say, "Okay, well, you know help us understand what you're doing and and maybe even justify some of your design decisions to understand if the person is not going to be you know just sort of rolling over, which we you know I don't want that as a teammate I want somebody who will challenge me if I'm wrong, but I also sure. don't want a, a bull in a china shop that's so stubborn and is like, "No, by golly, everybody should use this like that's that's not good either."
0: I do remember I, you reminded me of a couple of uh, uh, employment experiences I've had in the past, and um, one of which is I worked at a fast food restaurant as a management trainee when I first got out of university. And I remember the the um, uh, was I wasn't a big fan of this particular manager, but he once said to me, "You know, you, you have to look at a kid who's making a hamburger and say, can he make that hammer with a gun pointed to his head, right?" which mm-hmm. is kind of a shocking thing and and to be honest and it sort of really taught me about what this guy thinks but that's kind of sort of what these interviews are doing is they they're put they're, they're putting us under under a microscope you know and and you know aiming aiming that uh, or aiming the magnifying glass at the sun so we're getting heated up while we're trying to do the job you know uh, the reality is, you, you know, the client calls you and says, you know, we have a big event coming up on Sunday. You think you can get that table view done by Friday, you know, so we can have a look at it. That's the reality of what iOS is. You know, you're you're not really going to be. You're not expe- as another another uh, uh, experience. I was thinking about was that um, uh, we were we were working in production at one point, and one of my production managers said to me, "We're not saving lives here. This isn't the ER." You know. <laughs> We're, we're like a little bit, a little bit of perspective. This is, you know, nothing is that critical that has to be done that quickly, you know. So, um, so I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand that the idea of testing. If you think you need to have somebody from computer science, don't even ask me and Aaron to come in for the interview because we don't have computer science, right? Which should be
3: right. Which should be separate from. Will this person be able to meet the needs of this job?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because the reality is, you you ha- you. you you reasonably have to have enough time to basically do the research and get the job done right. It's not, you know, this stuff is, and this, the whole iOS development, uh, environment, I mean, I know, I know software development's been around for a long time, but, but the whole iOS market, the Google Play market, all these kind of things, they're, they're relatively young, um, Mind you, Jaime was telling me a couple of years ago that that we're, we're at the middle of the cycle and it's almost over. But they're relatively young as businesses go. And, and you know, it's it's I don't think anybody's really got a process. So it brings me back to what I was saying earlier about, about this one particular PDF document that we were able to download, at least understand what the interview process was going to be. You know, I looked at this document and said, I'm not even going to bother. You know, Aaron looked at it and said, he might try, but he won't be happy about it, you know. Yeah, I'm sort of talking myself out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's...
3: Okay, so an eight-page document sounds like something that should have been their side of the process. You know, like, okay, here are the steps. Here are the things we need to do. Okay, here's how we, you know, decide on making an offer to this person and getting it along and all these other onboarding sort of activities. Eight pages for the candidate themselves... Seems a bit excessive, and 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 to be fair, maybe they have such such a huge pipeline that, you know, they have thousands and upon thousands of people um, trying to apply, and maybe they need to carve it down.
0: Yeah, to be honest, with, I mean, if you look at what this is, is it's it's talking about the agenda for three different interviews, and and it's giving sort of timelines in terms of what you're what you're expected to do, and I could I could totally see that. Uh, I, I know of many people who would who would totally be prepared in this way to have to have a a process in place to basically to basically you know go through the process and do it in the most efficient way they could. I mean, after all, they're coders, right? So of course they've got a process, you know. Um, but uh, or hopefully they're coders, I should say. But it's it's things like you know, bring your resume, you know, have Xcode running, you know, bring a bring a browser. I mean, at least these guys are giving you. Um, access to, to stuff that that to, to to do this stuff. It's not like a, it's not like a an eight page tax form. It it does it does sort of break it down. But it but you know it, I think the it it is intimidating. I will grant you that.
1: I find it's just highly prescriptive and um, a little offensive in the sense that mm-hmm. um, it's putting the entire onus on you to talk them into hiring you. Um, there's, right. if, if you go to this company's website, you're not going to find a lot of information about what makes it great to work there. Um, right. you know, and there's certainly, well, oh, they don't have, foos
0: docu- and, uh, they no, have foosball and, uh, yeah. no, <laughs> well okay.
1: on the plus side, they're not going to offend me with that, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I mean, this is a remote work job, right? So, you know, at least okay. there, there is that, but, sure. um, the fact of the matter is there's there's nothing in this document that that says what what's in it for me and i feel Mm -hmm. like they they kind of need to do that when the implied assumption here is that we have so many applicants that you know we have this ginormous process that we've outlined very carefully uh and rigorously in this document um and we're going to expect you to do a lot of work to talk us into hiring you um you know like because the the actual the first interview is not an interview it's a presentation On your part as the as the applicant to talk them walk them through your resume walk them through your projects um walk them through your online presence and it's all outlined in exact minutes for this agenda it's a 20 minute presentation three minutes of introductions three minutes of background ten minutes of demonstration four minutes of wrap-up
0: this is this is three interviews so whether and that's i'm just talking about the first interview
1: well, no, there are yeah, three interviews, yeah. assuming you make it through them. But you know what? What I just said was about the first interview, and uh, it goes from there. You know, and the second interview is like the first one is just a uh, a screen, basically. The second one is a is a technical question and live coding exercise. It's an hour and a half long, and right. this is where they kind of go through it, and you know, you're going to uh, defend your ability to code, and uh, you're not going to know anything about it until you're. On the
0: call. Well, it's interesting. It reminds me of something I saw at, at GitHub, or not GitHub. Uh, it's, I saw something at 360iDev. Um, uh, I went to a presentation on um, getting financing. You know, finding finding seed money and all that kind of stuff. And one of the points that uh, one of the speakers gave, and I've forgotten her name, but she said, you know, there are clubs where you can go and practice your elevator pitch. You know, you can learn how to do a, a five minute or fifteen minute pitch. So I mean, just like you could go and study for that that uh, computer science course, you, there are places you can go learn how to learn how to win these pitches, you know.
1: Well, I but that's know. not my problem here. Like the thing that I really want to communicate is that I find that this process um, is offensive. You know, like yeah, I, I yeah. think you know, never mind that you know we we do not have uh, great comfort doing a live coding exercise. I feel that mm-hmm. that's just a, it's 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 a misplaced skill set that they're looking for. The ability to code live does not qualify someone for whatever job it is that I'm applying for right, my ability right. to take a, a a problem and create an application. That's the solution to that problem. That's what I mm-hmm. kick ass at. And that's not sure. what I'm being tested for here. And so when I see that this, this is the kind of process being put in front of me, then I I lose a lot of faith in the employer's ability to to test who its applicants are and they're not going to get the best applicants for the job because I'm not applying and and I would have been damn good. Just saying.
2: (laughs) It actually kind of sounds to me that the first interview question is, are you the kind of person that will read this document and still want to work here? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's true. It may very well be, may very well be. They may be looking for a, a type of person who's, uh, you know very very specific type who is very extremely process driven and and very you know uh, time oriented to the minute and that 's the kind of person will look at that schedule and say hey that 's great I can do exactly that and that 's what they 're looking for
0: that 's such a great point but sad part about that is though is that that there are different personality types and you, you don't Hire the same kind of you know regimented you know uh, Sheldon Cooper kind of person to work in a company. You need your Sheldon Coopers. You need your your Howard Wallowitzes. You need your Leonard whatever his last name was. Uh, you need you need a mix of I people. I have no and idea you need, who you're you talking your, about. And you need and you, well I'm talking you need you need to have somebody who's super anal. You need to have somebody who's who's brilliant but flexible. You know need to have somebody who's very good mechanically you need to have aesthetic people it takes a village of people to build an ios app that's what i said earlier right so so looking for someone who's regimented and and, you know runs like a train you're going to end up with a really efficient company that does nothing well
3: right and uh aaron what he was talking about was the big bang theory (laughs) comes out on cbs thursday
1: nights (laughs) (laughs) don't watch that yeah i don't
0: watch that show Pop culture, buddy, get, get used to it. Yeah, <laughs> get me so with Star Wars like and Star it. Trek. That's all. Oh, Star. Okay, I'll get. I'll, okay, I'll use the Star Wars and Star Trek analogies next time. You need to have a Wookiee. You need to have a, a Han Solo. You need to have a Princess Leia, and you need a Luke.
1: That's brilliant. <laughs> so true. Yeah,
0: and you need an R two D two. Don't forget. He he read the plans for the Death Star, right? Fantastic. Without him, you never would have got anywhere. It's all making. sense. You don't really it's need, need a
2: Jar Jar Big Stud, do you?
0: Never. Well, you know, here's here let me let me say let me say this no. about Jar Jar Binks. Oh no, no, gosh. hang on. Give me, a Give me a minute. to say now. The kids <laughs> of today, the kids of today, not the ones who had to wait 17 years for the fourth movie to come out, but the kids of today, they actually liked the first movie. <laughs> You're speechless. I know. <laughs> All right. I think
3: it's just because kids just... nowadays have bad taste.
0: <laughs> There's no kind they of back have Roomba, They have Roombas and iPhones, and, and they don't know what a VCR is. There you go. They, ne- they never had to program a VCR's menu, right?
3: Mm. While somebody was, you know, holding a gun to their head. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> I want to watch my show. Don't make me miss my soaps. Um <laughs> Okay, so um, let's move on to something else. Let's move on to something lighter, like how about we discuss web apps versus native apps? (laughs) Well, that's not divisive (laughs) at all. Something a little (laughs) less controversial, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, Aaron, why don't you lead us off on this one? (laughs) Okay,
1: Uh, I can do that. So. We're talking now about a column that was published yesterday, uh, the 4th of November, by Lucas Mathis on ignorethecode.net. We'll have the link in the show notes. Where he is raising uh, what we all know as a very old debate, uh, but rendered more relevant, I think, by the advance of technology. And I think that's something that we'll get a lot of discussion out of. His point being that there's really no telling difference between a native app and a web app. And Mm -hmm. the... Uh, contention that has long since been standing uh, between developers who believed uh, using solutions like PhoneGap that you could have uh, a web app that would go on both iOS and Android and even Windows Phone or Palm back in the day. Uh, BlackBerry, if you ever heard of them, remember those guys? Well, You could have the same app run on all those platforms, and it's a web app, and that would be just fine, and it's the easiest way to get your app on all platforms. And the fact of the matter is, as any um, supporter of native app development will tell you, that you just can't get the same experience. It's always just off. Uh, The performance isn't there. And so native is the way to go. We've seen expensive experiments by Facebook, Facebook, although expensive doesn't mean the same thing to them as it does to the rest of us, Um, coming out with web apps and then switching back to native apps um, and then having a kind of hybrid solution. And Lucas's point really is that we can't really um, worry too much about that anymore because with the need to build apps for Android and iOS primarily these days, you can't just necessarily have one... um, uh, two separate development teams, really. Um, so by focusing on just one development team and using, uh, web views inside of a native app wrapper that you can come up with something that's, that's so convincingly native that you couldn't really tell the difference. And he uses the example of Facebook, um, comparing their, uh, web app, uh, and their native app, uh, which uses web views and you can't really tell the difference. Um, so what he's saying is that there's really uh, no advantage to uh, this, this opinion that you should really just be on native only and not use web views in your app to have a good cross-platform experience. And we will have disagreement about this now.
0: <laughs> okay. Jaime, Go.
1: Okay. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll caveat these ones
3: with a, a couple things people might know about me. So uh, they might know that I've often joked that friends don't let friends do HTML5. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've, this past week, um, you know, I've, I've been very proud of my friends who have absolved themselves of their Android sins and gone with the iPhone 6 or 6 Plus. Bad boy. Um, Good boy. Yeah. All right. But that that was all in good. Those are all in good fun, though. Like I, that's not how I really do it. It's more of like the fanboyism that's just kind of fun as a persona type thing. Then it's it's good for laughs around beers. Um, True friends are from blue my, bubble friends, right? <laughs> right. So, um, so for me, I I definitely have an opinion on it. And when I've been asked by people, um, in some cases, a lot of people who are legitimately looking for. You know, they're looking to do their own startup or they're looking for, like, a co-founder or whatnot. And they've asked, well, what do you think? And I said, well, what are, you know, tell me everything that is your your limitations and what your goals are. Um, if you don't have a lot of money, but you have a business model that needs a lot of reach, something like going mobile web is probably the best option for you. Um, mm-hmm. If you need access to APIs that are on the device, you probably need to do some sort of hybrid solution like a phone gap, right? Um, if you are trying to create, uh, a very heavily user experience focused kind of product, um, you're almost certainly going to have to go native for that. Um, the, the, although this blog writer sort of says, you know, kind of hand waves the performance and UX consistency with the host platform piece here, That it, it's actually pretty patently false if you just try these things out yourself. Um. You could tell when apps just feel wrong. It's like, why? Why do these graphics look wrong? Why does this not move the same way that a real table view would move? And you can sort mm-hmm. of peek behind the screen. Um, and I even feel that when I'm using native apps on, you know, on an Android device, it just feels weird. Even though I know it's native code, I know it's running, um, you know, just as if it was being coded for iOS. But it, the same products from the same producers, like you know, let's say like a Google that has uh, apps for iOS and Android, even when they try to make the, the user experience the same, it's still noticeably different. Um, and that's between two native platforms and, and native and web is just a huge, huge, huge difference. I, I would definitely disagree with this person.
2: It depends a lot on what type of app you're trying to do. If you're trying to do an app that essentially is a, a web browser like like Facebook, just a very customized web browser, then yeah maybe you're fine, but as soon as you try to take advantage of any of the real native uh, functions of the phone, you know location or or audio or or motion sensing or anything like that, then you're you're fundamentally depending on someone else's library to make sure that that works for you. And as we all know about third party libraries, you kind of they're hit or miss. And if it's if you're missed, then Good luck. You're, you're yeah, you're trouble. way off. Yep. Right. And they also right. lag
1: behind whatever Apple's producing in any of its updated SDKs. Right. Yep.
2: Exactly. So when iOS exactly. eight comes
1: out with new capabilities, these things
2: have to still be developed until then. That's right. And the developer has long moved on to something else.
0: Jo- Josh Tisbury from Apple, I think he put it best once. He said, "Why would you degrade the experience of your app by?" By trying to do something like like use a, a tool like a phone gap or whatever, whereas you know if you do something in a native native uh, app, you, you have access to so much more slicker kind of UI. I mean things like all the gestures and um, all that kind of stuff that just comes with iOS these days. You know, uh, super simple stuff that makes your app look really compelling. And and um, and that I, I realize that's just part of building an app, but still it's a very important part, right? And I think the word that Jaime was looking for was, I think you're looking for clunky when you're talking about Android and, you know, or, or fugly is another good word I like to use. I love fugly. I mean, it,
3: fugly. <laughs> I mean, Android certainly gotten a lot better in those respects with their, um, their butter project and, and some of the improvements it sure. made in it in 5.0 Lollipop. Um, but even let, let's say it was, you know, precisely on par with iOS and performance and we could Just say, yep, we've run these metrics and it moves just as smoothly, as many frames per second, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Even with that, it still feels off. And that's not because it's wrong. It's because it's... (laughs) So, I mean, not necessarily because it's wrong, but it it just feels off because that's not what I'm used to, right? I'm used to Mm -hmm. certain bits of movement, some real subtle things that aren't necessarily conscious that you would have to, you know, just slow things down on, on a video and say oh that's what happened there that's sort of the, the little subtlety of that made it delightful at, at least in my but opinion and,
0: yeah and like Aaron was saying I think when you first got your your uh, your iPhone 6 you were saying that you, you just like the whole idea of of swiping your finger across the edge of the screen it was just so it felt so natural and so nice right isn't that right Aaron yeah that's right yeah, so there's just sort of an aesthetic to to this. I mean, and there's a long-standing argument. You know, the whole Windows world was was shackled by the fact that Microsoft didn't build the hardware and couldn't, you know, sort of keep everything down to a certain uh, uh, standard. And Apple, in the case of the Macintosh, was always able to do that. And now with the iPhone, they're doing the same thing. And then in the Android environment, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that the the, the systems are better, it's a, it's a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what's that word we always use for Android? Uh, fugly, uh, all broke broken up into pieces. What do you call that? Fragmented. fragmented, fragmented, fragmented. They're fragmented not because of what they're doing in the OS, they're fragmented because of the hardware expectations. You've got so many people making so many phones. Didn't you say, um, uh, Jaime, once that uh, Samsung comes up with a new phone every week practically? <laughs> um, Feels like it. And. And, and the, the standards, I mean, admittedly, like, you know, when, when you talk about piece, the PC market, you know, going back five, ten years ago, you know, you went to Sony, you went to IBM, because you got quality product in terms of hardware, very similar or on par with what Apple was doing. But all the other guys, Dell and Gateway and all those, you know, the guys building uh, clones in their basement, I mean, they were, the experience for the user was just garbage, right? And that seems to be the, the case with Android. People go to, uh, not with, I don't mean to offend, offend the Android market, but it seems that a lot of people go to Android because they don't want to go full bore, spend the money on, on the good hardware. They want to go for the cheap, cheerful phone and deal with the crappy experience because they don't know any better. Right? Or it's even just good enough. Like a... Oh. I'll, I'll read you this one part
1: here uh, from the end of this column. In, in short, he writes, and he's got a few points, but one of them is this one. You're already using web apps and native wrappers without even noticing it. The fact that nobody mm-hmm. even notices, the fact that this isn't a story, shows that when it comes to user experience, web versus native doesn't matter anymore. And, you know, as Jaime said, and as, you know, I'll, I'll echo, uh, I, I disagree with that. I think that you can tell the difference. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's still the glitches there that that reveal that this is not a native app and i think uh, unfortunately uh for the masses that use these apps it probably doesn't matter right like i don't think Ooh. a lot of people really do notice we notice because i think of ourselves as craftspeople we care about what these apps look right. like and we care about yeah. how they're made we know how they're made um but, you know, for for your your mom and dad, maybe, <laughs> who are using iOS apps all the time, like mine, um, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And maybe at the end of the day, that's what really matters. And uh, maybe being cross-platform, you know, in certain circumstances, of course, uh, is more important than being native.
3: It definitely depends on your, your market, for sure. I think uh, at some point here, uh, he makes... The notion or proposes like, well, you know, if you have you know five developers and, and they can work on one or two different apps or a single app, you get much better results if they all collaborate on one app. And i was like, well, okay, maybe, maybe. I mean, for one for one thing, um, web views have been a second class citizen for a very long time in iOS. It's only this past year that Apple has really seriously changed that. Um, that doesn't change for, the, the hardware. For the
0: better or for the worse? They're, they're, they made it better. they, they, they racing
3: them? Yeah, Sof- okay. Safari's engine kept getting improved and improved um, year after year, but the web view just stayed stuck in 2007, I assume, um, mm. until they, they made a change to that in uh, iOS 8. But even with that, I mean, that doesn't make the devices themselves better that are out there, right? So we complained the other day about the iPad mini still being out there with its pokey old processor, that doesn't mm-hmm. make the experience better, right? So the the overhead you get with with the web pieces are are going to be noticeable, and likewise, on mid to low range Android devices, it feels awful there too. With all of you know Android's problems dealing with that as an ecosystem, and I, I think um, I can sort of see where this we you know this writer is coming from. They probably are the kind of folks that advertise themselves as a full stack developer, in which. Generally means, you know, web front end to to back end um, out in the world, getting back to the interviewing mm-hmm. piece. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it sort of colors their perspective of like, yeah, I can have all these other full stack developers. We don't have to be necessarily all um, specialized in one thing. Like, okay, that's the Android guy. That's the iOS guy. These are the back end folks. We just sort of all work on it. That's probably great for their their model and what they're they're trying to approach but i don't think it's the same thing as saying like oh yeah this is like the most efficient way because another efficient way is to have you know something that i espouse which is have your delight in the front and your magic in the back right it's it's Mm -hmm. the mullet theory of of software development so (laughs) so all, all the magic of your app should be really happening in the back end right your api should be doing all sorts of wonderful things and the client should be relatively dumb when it comes to business logic, but it does all the sizzle and the pizzazz up front. Like, that's uh-huh, what makes uh-huh. me personally happy as a developer. And that is a way that you can have, you know, a, a relatively small team that's segmented across these are the front end teams, these are the back end teams. And they're both really good at what they do and are still relatively able to migrate back and forth between uh, at least their respective areas.
1: Well said.
2: Although I completely disagree with that I think the I think the client should do as much of the work as possible, but that's my take. I think you have a computer a very powerful computer in your hands uh why offload the work to an already busy server dealing with a you know hopefully millions of other uh clients uh when you can do that work perfectly well yourself but that's my take what
1: but I kind of view mm. that as a, as almost a metaphor, really. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the server where the magic is. Um, but, uh, you know, business logic, which can be expressed in models that could even be cross-platform, you know, that don't necessarily have to be tied to the specific um, operating system.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I got my contrarian point of view across. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well the question i want to know is all those people working in the front and back are they all asked the same questions in the interview process
1: no why why are we trying to create some novel
0: you know what that's actually a good point that's that's part of the
2: problem is that is that you have (laughs) especially in the smaller organization you you have a limited number of people who can do the interviews uh Mm -hmm. and those that those that range of people has a as a wide range of skills and knowledge and so to ask someone who's you know the world's Database optimization expert to talk about UI view controllers, you know that's not likely to happen. So you get this kind of cross section of of questions asked.
0: Yeah. Well, since we like to do everything backwards here at More Than Just Code podcast, um, a, a bit of follow up I think is uh, um, the gist of part of the article that uh, Aaron's brought to the table again, and that's on Apple leverage with Apple Pay. Um, an article by Ben Thompson that he found. Uh, do you want to fill us in on that one, Aaron? Sure. Uh, okay.
1: Well, this was an article by Ben Thompson at Stratechery, and the, um, the gist of it is basically that Apple has a history of taking advantage of relationships in getting new mar- uh, products to market, and uh, the driving point of this article points straight towards Apple Pay, where Apple has used its size and uh, the weaknesses that are currently in the market to push Apple Pay onto all the parties that are needed to make it happen, uh, from the credit card processors, the banks, to the merchants. Um, and Ben Thompson's column here, link in the show notes, right? <laughs> sure, um, yep. Absolutely. So the, the great thing that this, this column does is goes through the history of Apple making deals in other relationships in the past, starting with um, the the deals that Apple made with the record labels to get music on the iTunes Music Store and then with uh, the carriers to get the iPhone to market. And the way that <clears throat> Apple is able to negotiate with these, these partners – Um, using a technique of negotiation that he calls best alternative to a negotiated agreement, which basically um, puts Apple in a position of strength while putting its potential partner in a position of weakness, where they need Apple more than Apple needs them is the idea. And Mm. in the case of the record labels, because they were getting slaughtered by Napster back in the early 2000s, they saw Apple as a way to sort of counteract that. And Apple looked very weak in the market at the time, so they made a natural partner for the record labels. But Apple ran away with it, as we know, uh, and became the number one place where music could be bought online. Uh, In the case of the um, iPhone with AT&T, or at the time, Singular, they were in a, uh, a weak second place position to Verizon at the time, who Apple initially tried to deal with but were rebuffed. Um, and AT&T feeling that they were at a huge disadvantage, decided to work with Apple and agree to all of Apple's terms, uh, which were extraordinary at the time. Um, and even still are, if I recall correctly, uh, because most other Android phones are branded by the carrier, um, and do come with rather onerous, um, uh, sort of, uh, packaging agreements. Um, the iPhone is unbranded and, uh, that was pretty much unique. And Apple was able to do that because they had this negotiating power with a carrier who really wanted to, uh, to have uh, the iPhone to go to market with. And they were able to leverage that uh, huge success and AT&T's growth over the initial years of the iPhone to take that to other carriers as well. Uh, he used the example of Japan uh, where they initially went to the number three carrier and then the number two carrier, and only last year finally went to the number one carrier when they were finally forced to do so because they were really hemorrhaging customers who were going for the mm-hmm. iPhone, right? And so those lessons that I was just talking about, he takes on to um, Apple Pay and explains how those those same practices on Apple's part allowed them to sort of get in with the credit card processors and the banks, um, who both see um, Apple Pay as a way to increase their power in the market. The problem is the merchants, um, because for the merchants, I think Apple Pay is kind of bad news. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I guess what the, the, the ending point of this column really is, is that the merchants are going to be forced to adopt Apple pay because of the huge leverage that Apple's building with this massive customers who are going through their existing credit cards and existing banks uh, in order to force the merchants to accept Apple pay. And that's exactly how it's going to play out. And I think we can all agree that's exactly how it's going to play out. And this column explains, lays it all out, no doubt about it now. So I really enjoyed (laughs) it. And I hope you do too. It's
3: a fantastic article. It's, I think that was a great, great summary of it, and it's it's really well written. It's well sourced. Um, I I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I sort of had some of the similar ideas in the back of my head, but this was just so eloquently um, put forth um, that I I really enjoyed it. Um, And it it does sort of seem that that's is how things are going to shape out because there is this area where Apple. is very similar to what they did with iTunes. Can come in and provide something to uh, a relatively small set of of folks, and that's all they have to convince, right? I mean, there are folks who are, I guess a bit grumpy that their particular bank isn't on the list, but <laughs> you know, there's just so many banks in the world. But it's it's a relatively small set versus merchants who handily out you know outnumber
0: outnumber um, yeah yeah
3: um, banks you know probably a thousand to one I would guess. Just I don't actually know mm-hmm. that number, but it probably is. Um, and I think. Even you, you look at these things and, and look at sort of the the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, um, that whole timing of Napster going into iTunes and, and Apple's, you know, then perceived weakness and actually real weakness in the market, um, was perfectly timed. And I, I think that's probably why we haven't seen the iTunes equivalent for movies and television. Uh, Netflix is perhaps the closest, but they're the I think the video or the the MPAA. The Motion Picture Association of America probably saw what was happening to the uh, recording industry and said, that's not going to happen to us. And so they're Mm. playing Amazon and Google and Apple and others against each other. And uh, you generally can't buy a movie and just sort of seamlessly go from platform to platform, nor can you find one provider who provides every bit of content you would probably want, which is almost the opposite of, of what iTunes itself is.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much we can add to that article. Yeah. It was just, it's really, uh, thorough and, uh, and lays it out. And, um, you know, if you, if you want to understand both how Apple works and, and how the Apple pay is going to dominate in the future, um, this article is, is what you need to read.
0: Well, check out the show notes. They'll be on more than just code podcast website and m- mtjc.fm. And we'll be happy to put the note there. Um, so let's uh, wrap it up. Let's go around the table. We'll go around to a table to one spot this week because I think we only have one pick, and that would be our friend Jaime in Seattle.
3: Yeah, so my pick is a, um, a GitHub project called Watch Simulator. It's from Ben Morrow uh, of Happy Watch. And mm-hmm. the idea is that you can download this executable project or clone it, whatever you'd like, and it's provided you with this sort of stencil storyboard that is as far as I can tell the right size for an Apple watch, um, using my six plus when I've held that up against my (laughs) wrist, it seems like it's about the right size. So that's fantastic. (laughs) And so the idea is you can just add these elements to your storyboard. And and in my case, it took about 10 minutes to, to add a, um, a little menu function that brings up a map and shows where I am in the world. And Mm -hmm. then I can use sort of the little long breasts sort of thing to, to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just great. It's, you know, I think WatchKit is on top of everybody's minds because Apple said that they were going to reveal that to us this month, and it's now, you know, 20 minutes into the month, and why, by golly, I think everybody's looking forward to it. So we'll have this in the show notes, and I suggest folks check it out if you're interested in doing these sorts of, you know, I want to understand what that user interface really means, and, and not just in in Photoshop or Sketch mock-ups or, or even, you know, tappable prototypes, but just something that you can, hold in your hand or on your wrist, as the case may be, and sort of understand like, wow, I really am limited in this way by this interface, but it also opens these other possibilities. What can I do with it?
2: And this is just this guy's interpretation of what it will be. He has no real knowledge, right, at this point?
3: As far as I know, he has no real knowledge. So what you get is a uh, a couple of controllers built in, uh, very lightweight controllers built in Swift and a storyboard Mm -hmm. that has a stencil and uh, you can put other um, contained views within that, and it's it's pretty easy, especially with what uh, Xcode six provides for for generating storyboards.
1: Yeah, it's it's really just a way to uh, to see the UI right um, and at that size. So what what elements can you cram into that space? Yeah, there's no there's no hooks, no APIs, no no nothing like that.
3: Mm-hmm. correct so i wouldn't use this as like oh yeah we'll just wait for watch kit to come out and we'll just migrate this over to the actual thing you're still going to have to <laughs> change that with whatever comes out but if you want to have something that's more than just how does it look but closer to how is this going to actually feel how can i touch this um i would highly recommend yeah, how
0: small it? is it going to be exactly yeah yeah
3: you don't want to run this i don't think um just in the simulator you want to actually run this on your device and, and hold it up in the real world and just Sort of try it out and see what that's like. It, it's surprising, like what that size of device is going to be.
0: And does it does it have sort of some sort of touch and feel sort of idea behind it? do You think, or is it just a just a mock up tool?
3: Just a mock up. So, in the GitHub project as of this uh, writing, it it's, has a uh, couple buttons on a menu that one accepts, uh, excuse me, pardon one accepts a tap, and the other I think takes a um, the force press as far mm-hmm, as i know there's mm-hmm. no way to give a force press in the simulator you know so for folks who forgot this is the pushing into the the device with a, a certain amount of force that registers mm-hmm. differently and in this case right. what the the developer has done is um the radius of your touch will be interpreted as a force push or not so if you just sort of lightly peck, you know, with the point of your finger, that's a tap. But if you're using sort of the fat part of your finger, that's a wide enough radius. It's like, oh, well, your finger's going to naturally compress as you're pushing into the glass. So that's how they right. mocked right. up the idea of the force push.
2: So do we know? I don't think we know yet, but I wonder if there's, if there will be a difference between a, a long touch versus a force touch on the watch. Because that seems like a subtle difference for most people, you know what I mean. If they're mm-hmm. if they're pushing down, that's a, that's sort of by definition a long touch, right? Because you have to spend some time pushing down on it. So will that actually be different than the existing long touch on the phone? I, I don't know. I'm just curious.
3: It's a good question. I think it from a it's sort of an API standpoint, it would be pretty easy to add as an API, but the the magic is going to be on the tuning of that by Apple. And, and I don't know if users right, can right. change that for accessibility for that very reason. Like sometimes I somehow accidentally trigger the reachability function on my six plus and it annoys the heck out of me, right? Really? <laughs> I, I sort of double, double clutch on the home button, I guess, or just twitchy finger from too much coffee here in the great you know, state of Washington. But uh, it does. <laughs> and I, I hate it. I want to trigger, you know, with a slight of a delay, you know, actively pushing it to do that
0: yeah I'll be honest is sometimes the the gestures do get a bit annoying I find like on my my magic mouse on my mac, I often call it the what do you call it, dashboard without without even and I, I haven't used dashboard in you know a hundred years i mean like it's such an annoying thing I wish could get rid of it but um you know changing somehow just the way I approach my mouse it does that and on the phone, I find sometimes you know you try and try and slide to unlock it and you're not quite you know maybe your hands jiggling too much and and the, the touch is misinterpreted, and you get all kinds of crazy, you know, things happening on the devices. But I want to ask you guys this. Um, so uh, WatchKit is supposed to be coming out sometime this month. We don't know if it's going to be the middle of the month or the end of the month or whatever. But when it does come out, are you guys going to jump on it and start uh, start trying out things? Or what's your what's your plan for uh, WatchKit when it launches? Oh, I'm definitely going to take a look at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely look at it
3: yes i'm definitely going to look at it and uh as a sort of my final comment on this so i, I mentioned that i put a, a full screen map on the on the watch Kit, uh, simulator mm-hmm. here and you know what apple was right it's incredibly hard to do the reverse pinch and move around on the map you can pan but just zooming in and out just will not work without that crown i think it's the right move
2: so I have a I have a uh, a short uh, pick, very quick, and okay. dirty, yep. uh, And it's it's basically something that's been around for a while, but I haven't had a chance to successfully use it until today. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is, drum roll, please, Apple Pay. <coughs> it finally worked today. So a follow up Yay. after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I finally got to work for the first time, and it was exciting. Wow. Neat! Congratulations, decide, man. That's that's all. So, yeah, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> that's so that's cool. All. Did you check your bank balance when you got home? <laughs> no, I didn't. All yeah. Alrighty then. Uh, so I guess we'll call it call it for the week. Um, uh, Aaron, where can people find you? At Aaron V on Twitter. And that's all you're going to say? Like, that's, you're not yeah, like for, not looking for work. Send work Aaron's
1: way. Yeah, I think everybody kind of got that, you know, so the three people who are listening can send all their jobs to me on Twitter.
0: I'll have you know we're pushing close to 100 people. <laughs> OMG! <Wow. laughs> OMG, exactly. And Jaime, where can people find you?
3: At devwithahair and dev the hair dot com.
0: Okay, and Mark? Mark? R at Smapsoft.com. And once again, I'm Tim Mitra here in Toronto, Ontario, and I am at Tim Mitra on Twitter at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And I can be found at uh, www.it-guy.com. And we also have a website, as we've mentioned before, more than just code podcasts, mtjc.fm. If you want to get a hold of any of us, just drop a line there or follow us on Twitter. And we'll see you guys next week. So everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Say bye. And see If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.mm. There you can find show notes and a summary of each episode. We list links to items that we talk about and links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave us a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also retweet our tweets about the show. Once again, our the podcast Twitter account is at ntjc underscore podcast and uh, that's it thanks a lot